welcome to Church Project. I mean, we did it a little different today, that's all right. We're, we're a church, a gathering of people that love Jesus, and, and we love the mission of Jesus in this world, and we want to live it out together. Um, and we are, church, we're living it out together. Good job. We're also a project, we're an ongoing pursuit, just to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. And so it takes all of us being in this together. And, and we've started using this phrase lately, and that is, we're bringing together to this buffet all of who we are, all of our gifts, our talents, our skills. It takes all of us to be the church. And so thank you for being the church, and thank you for being here today. I want to, if, if I could, talk a little bit before we get into the message. Last week, Laura uh, gave an incredible message, a great parable, and so I think, is she in here or is she downstairs? She's with the kids, which is awesome. If you see Laura, give her a pat on the back and high five, because as, as we've, we've had a little bit of a different kind of a month in Project Kids, and who knows what will happen the next couple weeks, I want to call all of us to the table. It's all hands on deck, especially in the Project Kids area. Like, let's, let's encourage the permans, let's give them the rest that they need, and let's continue to step in and help down there however we can. So, everyone go give Laura a big hug, she's down there helping, I think David might be down there. Who knows what it's going to take, but, but let's, all, let's all do what we need to do to really be the body of Christ in every situation. And I applaud you for already doing that. Um, I also want to say just real quick, some of you might be interested, we're doing an Israel trip in October of next year, of 2020, and so next weekend, next Sunday gathering, we're going to have an informational meeting, and if, if you want more information about that, it's going to be right after the gathering, and, and I'll be leading that and kind of sharing what's going on there, but that's going to be a cool trip that we take, so just so you know that. Today we're going to look at the parable of the unjust judge. We've been going through the parables. We've taken a pause from expository teaching. Um, we're probably going to be going into an Old Testament book next. Pretty excited about that. And I'm kind of praying and talking to people about what this might be, and, and we've got a pretty good idea. We're going to be wrapping up our parables pretty soon. Today's parable is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And this is the parable of the unjust judge. You can find the notes on version if you want to follow along. But this is the, the parable of the unjust judge, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. I want to, before we read this, just remind us that Jesus has given us this parable, and he's teaching us something, and in this passage especially, right before it in Luke chapter 11, this passage continues teaching um, because the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray in Luke chapter 11. So in continuing for Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray, we get to this passage right now, and we might as well be pulling up a chair next to Jesus because he's talking to us today. Lord, teach us how we should pray. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, he continues this teaching. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Verse 2. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice 
so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith. Where will he find faith on the earth? Wow, what a complex parable. Like it starts in the, and he's like, I'm going to tell you something about praying and how you should continue to pray. And then he gets on to this teaching. It's like, does that have anything to do with praying? And then at the very end, he says, will God find anyone on earth, on earth that has faith? I mean, this is a lot to unpack in eight verses. I want to kind of give us some context before we get into this a whole lot. Um, during this time especially, and even, even now, I mean, widows, well, not now, but definitely in that time, okay. Widows um, were not left their husband's land. So you could be a rich widow one day, loving life, going along. All of a sudden your husband dies, and that land that you've been helped build, all that stuff is gone. That Your widows are not left that, okay. This is not good. Um, so if you're a widow in this time, if a widow stayed with the husband's family after her husband died, she was looked on as inferior and almost slave to the family. If the widow went back to her family, the money that was paid for her you know, to be married had to be paid back. This isn't good. There's so two, two really bad choices for this poor woman. No one would speak out on her behalf because of a widow. And often widows during this time would be sold to pay off debt. And so when you know this context about widows during this time, um, I don't think they had many rights and weren't looked on very well. And if we could say it this way, widows were in great need. Would you agree? Widows are in great need. And as we look at the widows, and and the widow in this particular parable, I think it causes us two challenges to kind of look at. The first is we can kind of zoom in to today's time. And it's almost a challenge for all of us. And Proverbs 31.8 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves or for the rights or or the rights of all who are destitute. And I, and I think of that, that right there in Proverbs is almost a mission statement for us as Christians today. You know, you can think back to the widow, who's speaking up for her? No one's speaking up for her. We can think of today, think of injustices today, think of people right now that don't even have a voice. And I'm like, this is almost like a mission statement for the church. Proverbs 31, 8, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves or the rights for all who are destitute. Think, this poor woman who suddenly lost her husband, lost her land, lost all her provision, lost her identity, and is barely looked upon as human during this time. Like, man, can we think of situations today where we need to step in and we need to help? We need to speak up. That's one challenge. Another challenge is we look at the widow. We are also to recognize that we are in great need. Don't think, oh, that poor woman. 
Jesus is teaching a bigger picture during this time. He's using the context of a widow because everyone gets it. They know the widow is in desperate need and to love widows and orphans, that's like a great commandment. Like they're getting this, but Jesus is teaching a bigger picture that when we zoom out, we can go, we're the widow. Like we're the ones that are in desperate, desperate need, in great need. And I think for today, for where we're at right now, and for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers, followers, Christians, we need to remember. We need to remember where we've come from. Like, yes, we can stand and we can sing our theology and we do a great job of saying, I am a child of God. Amen. Like, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. God is continuing to chase after me. And we can throw up our rock fist and we can declare that and be like, yes, we also need to remember that we are desperate and we need God. From the very beginning of who we are, we need God to intervene. The best way I can say this is, is uh, <laughs> I, heard, I recently heard a podcast that I might take him up on this challenge. And it was a pastor. He's 80 years old. And he said, you know what all pastors should do? They should go to Alcoholic Anonymous meetings for like six months and just absorb what happens in these places because as Christians, we are quick to stand up and rightfully so in our theology say, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm good, like God looks on me, I'm justified, and we're like, yeah. It's true. How many of us, though, are quick to say, hi, I'm Aaron Havens and I'm an alcoholic? How many of us are quick to realize that without God, like we literally are nothing? And it's going to take like us admitting like, you know what, I, I, yeah, I have some things I'm working on, and I, 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 my, my, stink, my, my poop does stink, too. Like, it's this, it's this wonderful balancing act, and, and as we look at this widow, I want us to remind ourselves that we also are in great need, and as this widow is in great need for this king to intervene, like, that's our lives from the very beginning. And the cool thing is, is God has intervened on our behalf. And we can stand up and say, I'm a child of God. But least we remember where we've come from. What he's redeemed us from and saved us from. So as we look at these verses, the first five verses of this parable. Jesus told the disciples this parable in verse 2. He said, a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. In verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, that she won't eventually come and attack me. And it seems like in these first five verses, God is saying, he seems to be saying, um, bug the snot out of God. So you kind of get in the first five verses, God's like, yeah, come bug the snot out of me until you relentlessly wear me down. I'm like, fine. How many of you parents have been broken down by your kids? I have, man. I'm like, you know what, here's some chocolate. I don't care. Just you have worn me out. I am done. Leave me alone, kid. Like, yeah, okay. So we could, we could kind of relate a little bit right there. But I want to say this, this 
though it looks like that on the surface, that's not what God's saying. Come bug the snot out of me. You're eventually going to wear me down, and you're going to get a million dollars because that's what you're asking for. That's not what he's saying, really. He's saying it's less about our persistence, as Laura pointed out really well last week during the message. It's less about our persistence, and this parable is more about this, these three little words that you're going to find that says, will not God. And can you find that where it says, will not God? It's in verse 7. So we, we get the first five that seemingly says, bug the snot out of God, be persistent, go for it. But it's less about the persistence and more about verse 7 when we get there where it says, will not God. And so let's get down to verse 7 and 8. It says in verse 7 and, and 8, And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And, I, and will not God bring about the justice for the chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And here we see in verse 7 and 8, if an unjust judge can be persuaded, think about the kind and loving God, how he has, re- has moved to respond to the kids and the children that he loves. This is an unjust king that's persuaded. Think about an all-loving God, how much he wants to move. And what we get, begin to see right here in verse 7 and 8 is the is the, is the meaning of this entire parable, and it's the character of God is not like the unjust judge. This is more about the character of God than it is about our persistence. This is more about God saying pray and pray continually, but why pray? Because I'm a good, good God. I want to give my kids good things. Like, I want to do this. And this passage and continually gets down. You see in verse 9 right here, um, or in verse 8, I tell you, if he sees that they, uh, let's start in verse 7. And they will not, and will not God bring about the justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? In verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And we see this, this last little, little question right here that addresses this fancy word called es- eschaton. Yeah, that's fancy. The eschaton. How many of you know what that is? Like, oh, you're seminarians if you know that. The eschaton comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is eschatos. Don't pronounce it like that. Any kind of accent I do comes out like Mexico. Like, it just happens for me. So my... <laughs> My Greek, man, sounds a lot like not Greek, but this word really means the final or the final. And so when in theological smart people worlds, you, you start, start, start talking about the eschaton, what that means is the return of God, the final judgment of God here. And so we see in verse 8, God is already moving heaven and earth and the eschaton is coming. And he's saying, when that comes, when I come, when I return, will I find people praying continually? Will I find people striving for faith, saying, God, it's about you, not about me. And he's saying, the reason that they're praying, that the reason that they're hoping is because I am God Almighty, and this speaks to my character, that I'm a good, good God. And I hope to find the people that worship me seeking after me continually, not giving up. And boom, mic drop, that's what this parable means. And so what does this mean for us today? Will God find us praying as in Matthew 6, 10? 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Will he find us praying that today? Will he find us praying that tomorrow? Will he find us praying that a year from now? Where in the high times of life and the low times of life, we're saying, God, may your will come. And may it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we begin to pray eternity into right now, into our circumstances right now, regardless of what they look like, regardless of whether we're having brain surgery tomorrow or we just win a lottery. Like we're praying, God, your will be done. Why? Because you're a good, good God and we know who you are. And I will never waver in that. As followers of Christ, December 8th, 2019, today, there's a war for our minds. Do you know that? I want to remind us of that. There's a war for our minds, asking us to give up our creativity and demanding us to grow up. I'm like, oh no. Be creative and don't act so grown up. I hope you get what I'm saying there. And as the prophet Twisted Sister once said, we're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. We're not gonna take it anymore. I love karaoke. <laughs> and that's not just for performance laughing sake, but truly, like, we're not gonna take it anymore. We're not gonna take that Satan can continue to war after our mind and twist us. To question God's good character of who he is. We're not going to take it. We're not going to let Satan, we're not going to let today have our creativity. God says dance like the lilies in the valley, right? Don't just dance like the lily in the valley, man. Innovate, church. Dream, church. Live a whimsical life of curiosity. I like that word whimsical. It's just fun to say. Say whimsical. Whimsical. Live a whimsical life of curiosity. And, then, and when the reaper is cutting down your today and tomorrow, and we know because we've walked through those days where it's like, I can't explain it. I just feel like the reaper is killing my day today. The war in my mind is being lost today. When that's happening, focus. Focus on who God is. Focus on, on how awesome he's even created you to be. Like we will not give up our creativity. We will not give up our innovation, our dreams, our hope. We will not give that up. Why? Because he is a good, good God, and we need to focus on who he is. And I got to tell you, like it was either Monday or Tuesday of this week, the reaper was killing my day. I'm like, man, I'm not having a good day. Today kind of sucks. And God's like, really? Because I really gave you a, a great brother to speak life into you. And I gave you Philippians 4.8. And maybe some of you need to gather this today. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. And here we see today, eternity meeting our lives. And God reminding us that he is a good, good God, and Satan wants to just take our minds and make us think on the opposite things that are not good, not worthy, get negative, look at the world, like, boo-hoo. And God's like, I am a good God, and I want you to be like that persistent widow that won't give up coming back to me because she was in great need for that king to respond. You are in great need for the king to respond. We are in great need as the church for God to move in our lives and in this world. May God return and find his saints focused on him. Battling injustice and standing up and speaking for those who cannot push back the gates of hell on their own. May he find our knuckles bloody. I love that analogy. May he find our, blo- our knuckles bloody as we love everyone as hard as we can. Think about that. Your knuckles are bloody because we are loving the world as hard as we can. We're fighting on behalf of them and for them. No way can I stand on the sidelines of this life. and No way can we stand on the sidelines of this life and be dragged into a lesser life. We're not going to take it. No more. This is our one and only life. Here is in heaven, life to the full. That's what we pray over our lives. That's what we pray over church project. We will fight, not for the lesser life, but for the, what God has asked us, to focus on him and to push back the gates of hell. And I say for our lives and I say for church project, let's die on this hill. You want to die on this hill? With bloody knuckles fighting for what's right, true, noble, for God to get glory in everything, I do. And I want to do it with you. Why? Because God is a good, good God. The widow did one thing, the one thing that she could do. She continually went to the king. And all of, her, all of God's people went, I know what I'm to do. The one thing she could do and you and I are no different. It doesn't matter how educated, how rich, how talented, or good-looking you are. The one thing that you can do, and that I can do, is go back to the king. We really have no other options. When we get our marching orders from God Almighty today, watch out, hell. So why should we pray and never give up? Number one, because he is a good God. Number two, because among his excellent attributes and many excellent attributes of God, his disposition is always abundance. He's, he's an abundant God that's created everything. He said, come to me. Why should we pray and never give up? Three, because his character is our aim. We want to be more like Christ every day. And the last one, we should never give up praying because we're praying as, in, as here, as in heaven, God. May your will be done in my life and in this world. So church, we pray for Rachel's brain surgery tomorrow. Uh, we pray for small things in our lives. One example of a small thing in my life is, you know I'm, a, well, some of you know I'm a window washer. 
I remember I didn't really have the time to finish because I had a party to go to and whatever. I had to get this job done, but it was also like 28 degrees. What does water freeze at? I'm like, I'm not going to use chemicals because this just, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, God, if there's any way, could you like keep this water from not freezing? And at 28 degrees, I'm doing windows and it's not freezing. And I'm just like, that was one of the coolest worship moments of my life. Like, how insignificant is that to you? That doesn't impact your life at all. Like, no one's life except mine. And I was like, that's such a small thing. But at 28 degrees, the water didn't freeze. So we pray for God's will, and we pray for heaven on earth in the small things, but we also pray in the really big things like brain surgery and Lord getting a killer job. We prayed for that for my wife once, like big, big things. Why do we do this? So that when the water doesn't freeze at 28, we recognize that God moved. It changes our perspective. From us, and our persistence to the character of God, which is our aim, which is the point of this entire parable. So my question to you is, what are you calling from heaven to earth right now? Each and every one of us are going through our own traumatic things right now, big and small. What are you calling from heaven to earth? What are you declaring the goodness of God and saying, God, I need you in this? As much as Rachel and the Permans need God tomorrow for brain surgery, like what are you personally calling from heaven to earth saying, God, you're a good, good God. I will not stop praying for this. I want to see you. I want to be more like you. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even if my water freezes at 28, I'm still going to declare your greatness. But when it doesn't, I'm going to dance because that's pretty dang cool. God, thank you for today. I pray in this place right now that as we sit here, we will each remember what you have done in our lives, what you've saved us from. Just like the widow, we need you. And church, may we take just a couple moments maybe to think on some people in our life that have spoken life over us and pointed to Jesus, and may we thank them for it. I take a few moments just to think back on circumstances of your life that you've lived through and you saw God move. Remember that right now. Don't forget it. And thank God for that. And as we sit today and we even look into possibly tomorrow, where are you calling as, in earth, as in, on earth as it is in heaven? Where are we saying, God, we need to see you move and we need to see your character and we need to see your perspective on this? And church, just cry out to him. 
talk to him. God, give me your perspective on this, please. God, I thank you for our time together. I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray over all of us, your church, that we would stay focused on what's right, what's true, noble, lovely, worthy, awesome, amazing, pure, that our perspective would not be hijacked today or tomorrow, that we would continually return to you every moment of our day, looking you in the eye, getting our identity from you, and loving the world as hard as we can, God. Thank you for your church, and thank you for your word.